trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I figured I'd get the jump on, uh, you know, any requirements, you know, to warn you about misinformation. So let me tell you that, uh, yes, you are going to encounter misinformation in this program. However, in my defense, I'm going to also point out, it's the kind of misinformation that will brainwash you into thinking for yourself. So, you know, in the end, it kind of works out. All right, tongue-in-cheek aside, I'm glad you're part of our audience today. Welcome to The Brian Hyde Show, where we revel in wrong think, not because I have all the answers, but because, well, everything is worth questioning at this point. Anything that comes to you from official sources, anything that comes to you through mainstream media or through government spokesmen, which is another way of saying state media, deserves to be questioned. I'm here to ask those questions and hopefully get you thinking as independently as And clearly as you can, which means whether you agree with me or not, you're taking ownership of your worldview. I've got some great sponsors who help to make this possible on a daily basis. They include the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, HSLAmmo.com, and DixieChiropractic.com. Now, if you're a new listener... I feel like I, I really do need to give you a legitimate warning that um, there are topics that I cover that uh, that will make some people extremely uncomfortable. And that's just because we live in a time where there are some really uncomfortable things happening. Okay, you don't have to be a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist any longer to look around you and get a real strong sense that this is not going in a good direction. Now, if there's a bright spot, you know, about that, or if there's a silver lining to that cloud, it's this. This is not the first time that we or other civilizations have been through the the civilizational, generational test that is sometimes referred to as a fourth turning. There is a, a coalescing perfect storm of crises and trends and and attitudes that uh, that happen about every 80 to 100 years it's the 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 romans called it a seculum but it it roughly approximates the seasons of the year and uh, not to not to rain on your parade here but we are in the dead of winter right now with a massive storm swirling around us building to a climax now other examples of this would include the world war 2 and depression era the um, civil war reconstruction era the revolutionary war and uh, and founding era are you are you catching kind of a common pattern here yeah financial upheaval civic decay or at least civic upheaval war was often a big part of those changes and the key thing to remember is that on the end of each of these crises, or after each of these crises had come and gone, as the seasons changed and springtime, so to speak, slowly arrived, the landscape always looked very different. That's the process that we're going through right now. And you can't wish it away. You can't avoid it. There's no place to safely sit it out. It affects every one of us, which means we have some decisions to make. And above all, I'm not trying to to make you feel afraid or feel like you're helpless or this is, you know, the end of the world. I'm not I'm not trying to convince you the apocalypse is upon us. But I will say that the stakes seem very very high. 
And in fact, if I can just, I'm, I'm going to put a couple of cards on the table here that uh, I, I feel like I got to get this off my chest and then I'm going to move on. I've got some great information to share with you, but I want you to understand why I talk about the things that I do and why I approach them the way that I do. I think that we are headed for some times that are going to try every single one of us. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how financially well off or well positioned you are, how prepared you are. We're all about to learn something about ourselves and about um, just what we're really made of. That's a daunting thought, right? Doesn't that make you get a little shiver up your spine as you think about, well, I don't know if I want to find out what I'm made of. I kind of want to sit back and take it easy. I'd rather, <laughs> I want to find something entertaining to watch on Netflix or Hulu and, and you know, just pass the time stuffing food into my mouth and, and enjoying the company of friends and, you know, buying cheap gas. But it's not happening, is it? So as you see the cost of fuel going higher and higher, and, and again, not to scare you, but uh, just it, by way of warning, there's some pretty serious talk about uh, $6 a gallon gas before the end of summer possibly $10 a gallon gas by the end of the year. Now, you don't have to be an economist to understand. The cost of fuel, which is energy that runs the economy, is going to uh, ripple throughout our whole society. Everything becomes more expensive. Everything becomes more difficult to obtain. And that, you know, on top of the, the higher prices of fuel, now we're, we're seeing supply chain breakdowns that have been happening over the last couple of years, not because of the COVID virus, but because of the official response to the COVID virus, shutting down businesses, telling people you're essential, you're not, stay home, don't do this, don't do that. Here, have some free money. We'll print more. No, come on. take more, really. We'll, we'll just print as much as we need. You're seeing the purchasing power of your dollar shrink, uh, a big one that was happening earlier this week. How about an 1,160-point drop in the Dow Jones average? I've got a good friend, <clears throat> not going to name him, I'll just tell you, he's, he's one of my most trusted friends. He's also one of the most savvy people I know um, in terms of economics and, and finance. And uh, I just just texted him to check on him the other day and just ask, hey, how are you doing? And he just was like, I'm just sick. I'm, I'm watching my retirement uh, accounts just evaporate as the stock market is, is going through these convulsions here. Okay, he's not alone. People are seeing this. They're, they're wondering, am I even going to have anything? And I wish I could give you some good news. Hey, it's all going to be okay, man. Just, you know, hang in there and, you know, go long, go long. Trust the, trust the market. It's going to correct itself. I mean, <clears throat> most of us grew up with the idea that eventually things would straighten out. I think we have very good reason to believe that it probably isn't going to do it this time. And it's not because we're dumb and it's not because we're not politically, you know, aligned the way that we should be. This is part of a cycle that takes place. And it's, it's something that's going to have to be ridden out. But as part of it, I believe every one of us is going to have to become comfortable with turning loose of some of the security that we have held on to. And that's going to be a huge adjustment for a lot of people. I understand. It's scary. I see it coming, and I think I see it fairly clearly. I don't, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I, I've been paying very close attention for at least the last 25 years. And I see what's coming, and, and I, I think, wow, we're all going to get used to uh, getting by with less or being <clears throat> less attached to our money or our, our possessions or whatever. I'm also, uh, you know, I, I'll admit, I, I, feel, I feel a sense of, uh, I don't know, that icy lead ball in my stomach 
when I look at some of the possibilities of the food supply being seriously interrupted. And it's not just a matter of, you know, well, yeah, we're having trouble finding certain things in the grocery store. There's all these ships sitting off the the coast that are still waiting to be unloaded months and months later. It's a matter of uh, there's a a lot happening naturally that seems to be working against us. Case in point, uh, we sat and planted our garden just a few days ago. And yesterday was one of the biggest windstorms of the year, followed by an overnight freeze. I haven't checked on my tomato plants and my pepper plants and all the other little sweet plants that we we planted, but I have a hunch that uh, they're probably not doing so great. So, I've laid out some of the the bad news, right? Okay, you're probably getting a sense that it really is looking serious. And, you know, as far as official help, you know that big dip in the stock market? Isn't it interesting that uh, the, the White House, when questioned about it, well, uh, what is the White House doing about this? The answer from the president's press secretary was, well, you know, we, we really don't keep an eye on that kind of thing. Okay, and that's, that's fine in the sense that I don't really want the, the White House or any other political body manipulating the financial markets or otherwise exerting control. But my point is, every one of us has to get it through our heads at some point. Government is not coming to your rescue. In fact, no one is really coming to your rescue. You're going to have to figure a lot of this stuff out for yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to lone Wolf McQuaid your way through life and, you know, it's it's just going to be, you know, back to a caveman type existence. Hunter-gatherers, you know, running around clubbing, you know, people over the heads. But it does mean that we're going to have to be much more resourceful and we're going to have to learn to work together with people whom we trust. I don't know if you can think of, you know, people that are within your circle of influence that you would trust. I mean, trust implicitly. Like if they showed up on your doorstep at four o'clock in the morning and said, I need a place to stay or I need someone to watch my kids because I need to go somewhere. And you would do it without hesitation. But that's the kind of trust that, uh, that I think we're going to have to develop. Just based on what has happened during other fourth turnings in our history. So if you're feeling up to the challenge, I mean, if you are willing to examine, seeing what's happening around us clearly, so that you might better understand what your options are and dig deep to know who you are and what you stand for, and if you can take it one step further and contemplate the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there is something God has for you to accomplish and you alone to accomplish, maybe you should start making that difference that you were born to make. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to Dixie Chiropractic. That would be Dr. Ward Wagner. You can go to DixieChiro.com. And this is great news for my listeners in the Southern Utah area. If you or someone you know is dealing with pain, whether it's neuropathy or bulging herniated discs or even car accident injuries, please go to DixieChiro.com. Check out some of the specials that they have to introduce you to the care that they can provide for you. So, for instance, you have a bulging herniated disc. First of all, that really sucks. (laughs) I've been dealing with that for about the last six years, and it is... uh, You know, I used to think people with back pain, oh, they're probably just exaggerating or they're milking it or something. No, nope. That's, uh, I, I, I apologize. Please forgive me. Anybody who I ever doubted, it's, it's really horrifically 
debilitating. But if you want to see something that can can give you some relief, look into the $99 intro special. That's two treatments plus massage at DixieChiro.com. Likewise, with neuropathy, here's the $99 Calmare treatment plus massage. DixieChiro.com, that's where you need to go. When you're making your appointment, please tell them. I heard about this on Brian's show. Well, as I'm looking back over the last couple of years, out of all of the insanity that took hold during the official COVID response, the arrest and prosecution of Idaho mom Sarah Brady is one of the most egregious examples. Now, I've had her on my show a couple of times And I think she is a remarkable, courageous person. She's also very misunderstood, which is not uncommon in times like this. You know, the press, of course, thinks, well, she's a troublemaker and should have just done what she was told. And there's others who just can't wait to pile on because I presume they're miserable and they want other people to be as miserable as they are. But I've got a great article here from Michelle Malkin, the prosecution of Idaho mom Sarah Brady. So if you're not familiar with her story, this will bring you up to speed. Sarah was arrested back in April of 2020 for bringing her children to a playground to meet with other families during the pandemic. Michelle Malkin says, Kleiner Park is an all-American, family-friendly gathering place west of Boise with 60 acres of greenery, trails, ponds, outdoor performance facilities, picnic shelters, and children's swings and slides. She says, two weeks ago, I enjoyed a visit there with several hundred freedom activists gathered to support uh, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's gubernatorial bid. The sun shone brightly, toddlers romped on the lawn, a sea of unmasked faces roared the Pledge of Allegiance in joyful unison. But Michelle Malkin says, all is not and never will be back to normal in America. Never forget that citizens across this country still face tyrannical persecution and prosecution for defying COVID-19 tyranny just two short years ago. Apparently at this uh, Kleiner Park, this is where Michelle Malkin met and embraced mom of four, Sarah Brady, whom she says I recognized instantly from the worldwide viral video of her arrest in April of 2020. So she asked Sarah, whatever happened to your case? And this un-American nightmare, it turns out, has yet to end. So for those who don't know, here's the story. On April 21st of 2020, Sarah and other families had been enjoying fresh air and sunshine, you know, God's natural immunity and mental health boosters, amid a statewide shutdown of schools. Now, she and other moms opposed a city order that playground equipment in a public park be wrapped in what amounted to crime scene tape. That apocalyptic scene had been replicated all over the nation, including in Michelle Malkin's own neighborhood park. Sarah simply questioned aloud the junk science rationale for punishing healthy children while cops and park officials violated their own social distancing rules and mask protocols. For her crimes of constitutionally protected peaceable assembly, petition for a redress of grievances, and lawful dissent, Sarah was shackled, placed in a patrol car, booked into Ada County Jail, and charged with misdemeanor trespassing by a grandstanding Republican state attorney general. Now, Sarah told Michelle Malkin, I'm a mother of four children. Married to a Boise police officer. She said, our lives are so busy and chaotic, simply trying to manage a household of six, let alone trying to defend myself against the state of Idaho for literally taking my kids to a play date. It's very daunting. She says, I didn't go back to normal after that day. Indeed, Michelle Malkin says more than two years later, after dozens of online status hearings, two suspended trial dates, four different attorneys, and nearly $30,000 in legal fees. 
Sarah now awaits a May 31st hearing on her motion to dismiss the single criminal misdemeanor charge on constitutional grounds. Sarah's attorney, Jeremy Lister, argued in his filing this week that the trespass law is unconstitutionally vague. The arresting officer exercised unbridled authority to arbitrarily persecute dissenters, while others who breached the playground equipment went free. And Sarah's expressive conduct in the playground area of a public park was content-based and viewpoint-based speech in a traditional public forum that's protected by the First Amendment. Well, since that revolutionary maternal act in 2020 on behalf of her children and other families, Sarah has been an ongoing target of both prosecution and persecution. She says, I've had people track me down, take videos, and post them in a hate group. By the way, that group still exists, but Facebook won't take it down. She says, I was reported to CPS multiple times. I've had letters and mail come that I'm scared to open. Many days I've wondered if I could keep going. It's affected my mental state. There isn't a day that goes by that I'm not dealing with it to some degree. But get this. Sarah has no regrets about that fateful day in Kleiner Park. In fact, she told me, I'm hoping that I can blaze a trail and others here in Idaho can use the legal briefs I've paid for to stop the state from doing the same thing to them. By the way, if this is, if this is you know, stirring you in any way to think, what can I do to help her? There is a link to a, a crowdfund campaign that you can, can donate to. Michelle Malkin says, Sarah and her family have paid another high price, and that is doxing by left-wing vigilantes, threats and harassment, smears by character assassins in the media who are allergic to sovereignty-defending mothers. BuzzFeed, for example, attacked Sarah for challenging her son's school over unlawful vaccine exemption documentation. By the way, the school did back down eventually. Now, the silver lining of this entire ordeal, according to Sarah, is that her viral moment helped wake up countless parents who'd been sleeping, and it galvanized her own activism. She said it's really appalling how the government came in to save everyone and then made such a huge mess, and now everyone's acting like it never happened, except for those of us that are being so harshly punished for daring to push back. I've learned how corrupt our government is and how fragile our freedoms are. Sarah says, I feel like I've been awake to things going on for several years now, but these last two years have really shown me the evil we have in our country. Michelle Malkin says Sarah's courageous battle is a light in the darkness. In fact, Sarah told her, being an example to your children to stand up against tyranny is one of the most important messages you can give. I think she's right. She also said freedom is the most important gift given to us. I would rather be handcuffed and taken away from you than to bow down to the state. This is what her message is for her kids. Now, you don't have to agree. I'm not insisting that you agree. I, I happen to think she's right, and having spoken with her myself, I, I think she's coming at this from the right place. And when she talks about freedom being the most important gift given to us, it's not a gift given to us by politicians. It's not given to us by the government. It's a gift given by God. But it's the kind of gift that you cannot exercise unless you are willing to claim it, use it, and defend it. And as Sarah's example shows... There are times and places in which those who are trying to gain some sort of dominion over you are going to punish you for doing so. And in Sarah's case, the process of holding her accountable for not leaving the park immediately because this officer ordered her to, uh, this is, the punishment is, is in the process itself. I mean, they're, just, they're trying to bleed her dry legally and financially by dragging this thing out. 
seriously, can, can anybody with a straight face try to make the case that, well, you know, this is serving the interest of justice. And the world will be a safer, more just place once that Idaho has exacted, you know, punishment for her for the crime of, what was it again? Oh, yeah. Standing up for her right to be at a park with her children. I mean, we now have the hindsight of knowing, you know, none of the mask mandates, none of the six feet of separation, all that stuff really did nothing to stop the spread of the virus. Sunshine and good health and strong immune systems, that did a lot. I think the biggest takeaway, though, is if you think, well, you know, she's a troublemaker and I'm not, you need to think again. Sarah is someone very much like you and me. She just happened to be courageous enough to stand up when most people wouldn't. And if you're not willing to stand up, trust me when I tell you, your turn is coming. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. A big thank you to HSLAmmo.com for being one of my sponsors. I'd invite you to please go to my show notes. You'll find them at thebrianheidshow.com. There at the bottom of the show notes, you'll find a special collection of sponsor links that will take you directly to my sponsors. There are also uh, specific links on my webpage, on my website itself. But if you are in the market for some ammo, HSL Ammo is the place I would send you. Please, go do business with them with my regards. So, you want to hear a scary story? I know you haven't heard many over the last uh, couple of years, but just turn on the MSM, and right now you'll find a lot of frightful tales about monkeypox. <laughs> yeah, the next big one. The next big scare for the USA and for Europe. If you want to get some great perspective on this, I highly recommend uh, Jordan Schachtel's dossier Substack. He's got a, a great article here about the USA and Europe buying up millions of doses of monkeypox vaccine. And he asks, what's the deal with monkeypox? Jordan Schachtel says, suddenly everyone is talking about monkeypox, the smallpox-like disease that's surfaced in recent days in both Europe and the United States. Health authorities in two continents, in the two continents rather, have thus far identified only a few dozen cases. So while there's no real concern for the moment or no real concern for, no reason for concern at the moment, he says, here's what convinced me to put this on your radar. Late last night, this would have been like three nights ago, the U.S. government decided to order millions of doses of monkeypox vaccine. Now, according to a press release from European pharma company Barvarian Nordic, the United States purchased a $119 million option on the doses. These vaccines were purchased through the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, and the U.S. government has an additional $180 million in options if it so chooses to exercise them. Additionally, on Thursday... Bavarian Nordic announced that they were going to supply an undisclosed European country with monkeypox vaccinations. Now, the U.S. likely has first dibs on the product because the vaccine was developed with American support. Anthony Fauci's NIAID has supported, the, has supported Bavarian Nordic with well over $100 million in grants. And whether Fauci and his colleagues will receive kickbacks and royalties for this vaccine, that remains unknown. Bavarian Nordic received FDA approval for its vaccine back in September of 2019, just two months before the commencement of COVID mania. Now, the FDA statement included the possibility that this vaccine was necessary for the market in case of a biowarfare event concerning the intentional release of smallpox. 
Bavarian Nordic's president and CEO released a statement on Thursday saying, while the full circumstances around the current monkeypox cases in Europe remain to be elucidated, the speed of which these have evolved, have evolved combined with the potential for infections beyond the initial case going undetected, calls for a rapid and coordinated approach by the health authorities, and we are pleased to assist in this emergency situation. Infection control has been a high priority for societies during COVID-19, and this situation is an unfortunate reminder that we cannot let our guard down, but must continue to build and strengthen our infectious disease preparedness to keep the world open. I don't think he was being ironic, but still, that's weird choice of words. Now, according to the CDC, monkeypox was first discovered in 1958, when two outbreaks of a pox-like disease occurred in colonies of monkeys kept for research, hence the name monkeypox. The first human case of monkeypox was recorded in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of Congo during a period of intensified effort to eliminate smallpox. Since then, monkeypox has been reported in humans in other Central and Western African countries. Now, monkeypox is currently understood as a rare infection primarily spread by wild animals in West Africa. And the symptoms are said to be similar to that of chickenpox. Case fatality rate estimates for human-obtained monkeypox in Africa range from 1% to 15%. Now, early reports from Europe seem to indicate that monkeypox is only spreading within the gay community, as cases are being reported exclusively in gay men. The transmission dynamics remain unclear, but that hasn't stopped the usual panic promoters from making hysterical claims. Here's one from Dr. Eric Feigelding. <laughs> nice tweet here. Crap, monkeypox is likely aerosol airborne. Study indicates monkeypox is aerosol stable for up to 90 hours and remains infective during that time. I pray we've learned our lesson with COVID is airborne and don't repeat the droplet versus airborne two-year nonsense. Interesting stuff. So, I don't know. Is this a psyop? Is this, uh, is this planting seeds to get us all in a, in a bit of a tizzy? Hard to say, but it is kind of ironic, isn't it, that uh, you've got uh, these uh, leaders from the world's nations meeting about health concerns in Davos, Switzerland again, um, and, and looking at a World Health Organization treaty that would essentially be a one-size-fits-all approach for the next pandemic. Like they're already planning on it. It's going to happen, so next time it does, and I'm guessing it will be sooner than later, We'll have a one-size-fits-all thing. Well, we all signed on to the treaty. We all agreed we'd lock it down just like Australia or just like Shanghai. I have to ask, is that uh, is that something you're okay with? I'm guessing most people within the sound of my voice would at least have some hesitation about, yeah, maybe maybe we ought to take a closer look at this based on all of the misinformation, and I mean official misinformation, which seemed to flow from the D, the CDC and from uh, political sources that we saw in throughout the uh, COVID pandemic. All I know is I'm seeing these news stories start to pop up, and it's very, very clear that the seeds of fear are being planted and they're being carefully nurtured and, and uh, hoping you know, people who are planting them are hoping that they take root. And get us, you know, panicky again to where we're, okay, take more of my freedoms. Anything, take it all. Just make me feel safe. Keep that healthy sense of skepticism. Yeah, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek when I say the healthy skepticism. But just understand, so much of what was told to us and stated as fact, even though we didn't know it was fact and, and justified as well, we had no other choice, realize that the people who made these decisions 
are desperate to escape accountability. The harm that they have done is real, and I'm not just talking economic harm. I'm talking the psychological and emotional harm that they have done to people. What's happened with the addiction rates, the suicide rates? What's happened to to the quality of life for people? I've said this before, and as, as cynical as it may sound, I believe that the folks who planted those seeds of fear in the first place, the ones who milked our uncertainty over the COVID pandemic, to get, to get greater power over us or to, to acquire greater control over the populace. Uh, and, and the harm that they did, I think that they are evil enough that, yes, they would be willing to start World War III, including the risk of nuclear war, in order to cover their sins. They believe that they can get away with this if they can convince us that, no, no, we never really did any of those things. And, and I'm sorry, but Dr. Fauci is one of the key figures in this. Uh, there, there are very few people that I would use the term wretched to describe. He's one of them. Wretched because he is unaccountable, he is unrepentant, and apparently still lusts for that power and that uh, adoration that, that so many were willing to give him. So, what does this mean for you and me? I mean, after all, how many of us have advanced degrees in epidemiology? Not me, for certain. But you know what I do have an advanced degree in? Knowing what's best for me and not outsourcing those decisions to to some bureaucrat at any level. I know that freedom and my natural rights are the greatest gift that God has given me. And by understanding what those rights are, I'm determined to continue to claim them, use them, and defend them as any free man would. This means that uh, I reserve the right to doubt what I'm being told through official mainstream sources. I reserve the right to doubt and even to openly scoff in the face of experts who cling to politicized, settled science. I reserve the right to get a second opinion because there are plenty of people out there who will offer that. And I'm encouraging you to make a similar stand. You don't have to do it as publicly as I'm doing it here, but... You need to understand that you have those rights, too, if you're willing to stand up and claim them. You know, the concerns about misinformation, as much as we we poke fun at, you know, the Ministry of Truth, which was started and then stopped because people started ridiculing it on a large scale and pushing back against it, that's a good thing. I don't think it's gone for good, but it's definitely, definitely, I think that the people in power who are trying to foist that Ministry of uh, Truth on us are a little bit surprised. Wow, they're really not taking to this. That's why they had to pull back and withdraw and, you know, the, the, um, woman appointed to, to head it up, uh, Mrs. Jankowitz has, uh, Ms. Jankowitz, sorry, has uh, decided to resign her position. But that misinformation that you're going to encounter is not likely to come from know-nothings like me. It's going to be official misinformation. It's going to be disinformation. It's going to be from state government or state media sources that are trying to tell you this is what you're allowed to think. This is what you're allowed to believe. Question all of it. Whether it comes from me, whether it comes from Dr. Fauci, whether it comes from your favorite uh, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, whatever, talking heads, get in the habit of questioning it and understand what's best for you. That's your decision to make. Now do your best to make it wisely. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Hey, lifesavingfood.com has been one of my long-term sponsors here on the program. I hope that you would consider doing business with them. I did get a I did get a question from a listener yesterday asking, hey, when I click on lifesavingfood.com, it takes me to, uh, uh, I think it's Patriot Food Supply. They are one and the same, or at least uh, lifesavingfood.com is a distributor for Patriot Food Supply. Just don't be thrown. You click on the link that I supply, it will take you to the right website. So, you don't know, but there's no hanky-panky going on here. But if you have given any thought to being prepared, this is really the time to act on it. Okay, I know we all want to kind of hold off. Well, things are going to get back to normal here. I don't think that's the case. I think what we regarded as normal just a couple, three years ago is uh, something that's not going to be seen again, probably within our lifetimes. That doesn't mean life is going to suck. It just means we've got to adapt and we've got to be ready. And I think there's some pretty rough water ahead of us in the near future. And you can start to see the white caps from where we are right now. Be prepared. Whether it's small steps or whether it's big steps, take those steps. Be prepared. And with God's help and with, uh, with the cooperation of the people we trust and love the most, we will get through this, no matter how difficult. So here's a question for you. If, America fall, if the American empire falls, and I'm looking at the big geopolitical picture here, will the American republic rise? In other words, can our republic be restored if the empire is to fall? This is a question worth asking because right now the war drums are beating pretty loud. And as we're going to talk about in the next hour of the show, um, there's, there's a lot of concern that what's happening right now in Ukraine is nothing more than a proxy war between the United States and Russia. And I know that uh, for a lot of people that's like, well, then uh, the lines are drawn. I'm against Russia and I'm for the United States and... I wish I could say, yeah, it's that clear cut because, uh, you know, we, the United States are the good guys and we stand on the side of freedom and justice and the American way. I think the ideals on which this nation was founded likely would reflect freedom and justice and personal liberty. I do not believe for a moment, though, that the cabal that's in power right now in Washington, D.C. in any way represents those things. And in fact, I think that they are instigating conflict like serious Conflict, worldwide conflict. So for that to reason, I, for one, would be very happy to see the American empire come crashing down. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every time our, our troops are sent abroad, you know, to, to strike a blow for freedom, we are less free here at home. It certainly has been this way for the last 20 years, but going back even further, we can see that uh, the, the national security state has nothing to do with our individual security and securing our individual freedoms and liberty. It's about securing and protecting the power of shadowy people, some in openly elected positions or appointed positions, many just kind of hiding back in the, in the shadows and, you know, pulling levers from out of sight. For instance, whoever runs President Biden's teleprompter, that's who's really running the presidency right now. That should be obvious. Here's an article from Robert from J. Robert Smith about if the American empire falls, will the republic rise? He says, Victor Davis Hanson, eminent classicist, provides this warning to Americans in the lead of his most recent article at Epic Times, updated on May 16th. 
I actually shared this the other day on the show. Americans are now entering uncharted revolutionary territory. They may witness things over the next five months that once would have seemed unimaginable. Now, J. Robert Smith says it may prove in this momentous decade that the American empire falls, but he says take heart because the fall of the empire, aren't all empires finally a bundle of conceits destined to collapse, may lead to the revival of the American Republic. He says so we're, the, the visions of empire and republic are as starkly different as George Washington and the founders were from Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson. Much of what constitutes the American empire is a product of progressive doctrine. It was about <clears throat> domestic imperialism, perhaps far more than American global dominance. And restoring the republic should be welcomed by citizens dedicated to our nation's founding principles. But the bottom line is we're reaching a culmination. The left's decades-long march through America's institutions has largely succeeded. They control government, corporations, health care, sciences, media, arts and entertainment, education, nonprofits, sports, right down to the Boy and Girl Scouts. And they seek to consolidate their control in a handful of larger institutions, mainly governments and corporations. An American reset is a precursor to a global reset per the lunatic vision of Klaus Schwab and his acolytes. As an aside, pray tell, what is it with Germany that it periodically spawns <clears throat> apocalyptic and or messianic figures like Marx, Nietzsche, Hitler, and now this dangerous utopian Klaus Schwab? Okay, that's a fair question. But he says, if you're feeling surrounded, don't. Because there are many more of us than them. The unbelievable major serial failures of the Biden administration, who bats zero, for instance, are waking up to a broader slice of the public. Or waking up a broader slice of the public, rather. Waking them up through mounting costs of inflation and energy, uncertainties like crime and the border, and of course flagrant attempts in schools to sexually debauch our kids. Biden's handlers, of course, support this effort, among other wanton offenses. So the progressive worldview, as translated through governance and cultural dictates, is collapsing. Progressivism is daily revealing itself as, yes, power-hungry, incompetent, ineffective, but also dark. The end of the empire isn't likely to finish with a whimper. He says it'll be calamitous, confrontational, and just plain nasty. The elites won't go gentle into that good night. They've far too much riding on the outcomes. As Victor Davis Hanson stated in his article, when revolutionaries undermine the system, earn the antipathy of the people, and face looming disaster at the polls, it is then that they prove the most dangerous, as we shall see over the next few months. So pain tends to be humanity's best teacher, unfortunately. And most of us Americans are in the process of getting increasing doses of pain. The upside of this will lead to righteous anger, a strong resolve, and banding together. Now that process is underway. And it's said that it takes a lot to get Americans riled up and their fighting spirit going, but when that occurs, watch out. Anybody recall what happened to Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany? Many of these elites, regardless of the institution, are corrupt as hell. Money and power are their gods, and the wager is that today's elites are the most corrupt in the country's history. The Gilded Age pales in comparison. Faith in God, shared traditional values, and civil society imbued with respect for liberty and the rights and rights once served in part as or once served rather in part as checks on the ambitions of grasping men. Smaller national government hamstrung with checks and balances, a strict federal system, 
and a society chock full of diffuse power centers further blunted men with oversized appetites for power. But of course you know most elites no longer share a belief in God with most Americans. Traditional values have had torches put to them. Civil societies at best a veneer under which royals cultural conflicts. At the end of the 20th century and moving forward, progressives found ways, both constitutionally and not, to concentrate power in the national government, expanding its role in the states and society. Liberal jurists threw away strict construction of law in favor of lavish interpretations that, unsurprisingly, advanced leftward agendas. In current times, many, including too many establishment Republicans, even some conservatives, have sold out their nation to Xi Jinping and his predecessors. Joe Biden and his family's influence-peddling schemes are just the tip of the iceberg. The nation's ongoing supply chain troubles merely expose our reliance on and vulnerability to communist China. And we're vulnerable because cheaply made goods make a lot of money for elites and corporations and among their conspirators in Washington. But most elites aren't content, having denuded America of manufacturing for profit and leaving the homeland vulnerable to the aims and caprice of a Chinese communist dictator. Many, especially their leftist cohorts, have compulsions to dominate the lives of their fellow citizens, to impose through force their beliefs and values, to control actions and language, and if possible, to control thought. After all, isn't thought control why elites have been subverting educational institutions from preschools through graduate schools? What else is cancel culture but the threat of or or actual use of force to extract compliance or inflict punishment? Authoritarianism and totalitarianism are honey that attracts broken, angry, manipulative, controlling personalities. It's a pretty good assessment. J. Robert Smith concludes, the, he says, you know, the, the elections are going to be, you know, a reckoning for these people, which is probably why you're going to see a lot of efforts to undermine those elections. But in the meantime, he says, let's join with fellow patriots. Let's organize with others locally as bulwarks against the coming attacks. Expect protracted, intensifying troubles and conflicts. But let's make bold pronouncements for liberty and the Founders' vision of America. Let's clamor and fight for the restoration of our republic. Let's pray and make proclamations for a renaissance of faith and freedom on these shores that will astonish a watching world. That seems like a reasonable approach to me. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a program that is all about encouraging you to think as clearly and independently as possible. Now, in order to do that, that means you're going to have to be willing to confront some unpopular truths or uncomfortable truths. So uh, do not expect to hear comfortable lies spoken into your ears. But instead, I will offer some uh, hopefully compelling and timely commentary, not just from me, but from other people who I think have a good grasp, not only of the passing scene, but also the principles that make life worthwhile. And I'm talking principles like freedom of conscience, personal liberty, uh, free market economics, property rights, 
all the stuff that makes freedom active and operative. So if you want to learn a little little bit more about the principles and practices of liberty, this is a good place to do it. If you want to challenge some of the misinformation out there, likewise, it's a great place to do it. But at no point are you under any obligation to agree with me or to, uh, to even accept what I'm offering. I'm just offering this as a friend who's willing to speak unpopular truths and perhaps, you know, uh, be misunderstood in the process to help people more fully awake to what the stakes are and what they can do to make a stand in a world that is increasingly trying to squelch their individual freedom, both in terms of how you, how you actively move about and in terms of how you exercise your conscience. So with that in mind, shall we get right into the uncomfortable stuff? For instance, how much longer can we go on pretending that the U.S. government isn't trying to instigate a direct war with Russia? Brandon Smith, in a recent column, says it's time to stop the denial. Ukraine is a proxy war that will lead to a wider world war. He says at the onset of the Russian incursion into Ukraine, he says, I argued in my article, Order Out of Chaos, how the Ukraine conflict is designed to benefit globalists. And he argued that U.S. boots would be on the ground within a few months. Well, he says, I was wrong. As it turns out, U.S. and European military boots were already on the ground. Ukraine was a proxy war from the very beginning. Just as an aside, I'm going to throw this out there, too, because I don't know how many people are aware of this. But, you know, officially people think, well, on February 24th, that's when Putin sent his troops in and invaded, you know, without any aggression whatsoever, without any, I'm sorry, without any reason whatsoever. You know, he just aggressively went and invaded his peaceful neighbor. That's not correct. What prompted the ultimate sending in of those troops was the fact that Ukraine earlier, I believe it was like the 16th of February, began artillery bombardment and shelling of those uh, provinces in Donetsk and uh, Luhansk uh, where, where there has been that contested region that, uh, that wants to break away from Ukraine because it has more loyalty toward Russia than it does to Ukraine. So it was Ukraine that actually started, you know, again, attacking these people. They've been doing it since 2014, but that was the line that apparently... You know, Putin had troops ready to go and said, okay, they need to go in. Well, Brian, you sound like a Russian apologist. No, I I have no loyalty to, to Vladimir Putin, but I do have a loyalty to the truth, and that is a truth that you are not being told by mainstream sources, much less U.S. officials. So let's not pretend that for no reason whatsoever, out of nowhere, Putin suddenly invaded, because it's not true. All right, back to Brandon Smith's article. What is a proxy war, really? It means that Russian troops are fighting Ukrainian soldiers that are intermingled with Western advisors and most likely U.S. and European special forces, not to mention U.S. intelligence operatives utilizing all the information-gathering technology at the disposal of the Department of Defense. In other words, Russian soldiers are being killed by Western assets. Now, some pro-Ukrainian people may ask, well, why is that a problem? Well, to understand the gravity of the situation, we first have to examine the historical significance. Brandon Smith says the closest event in history that I could approximate Ukraine to is Vietnam, when communist elements within the country were receiving constant aid, weaponry, and even some troops from China, along with monetary and technological aid from from the Soviet Union. Vietnam was essentially a safe arena or cage match between the West and communism. 
a place where paradigm players could fight it out without risk of a larger nuclear exchange. The globalists could sit back, relax, and watch the show while Americans sacrificed their lives over a conflict that did not need to exist. Now, Ukraine is similar, but the stakes this time are much higher. This is probably why the mainstream media and the White House have been in full denial that Ukraine is a proxy war at all. And they've consistently downplayed the complex involvement of Western military assets. The fact is that Ukraine would have fallen completely by now had it not been for the fact that Russia is not really facing Ukraine. It's facing a proxy of U.S. and European support elements feeding intel, weaponry, weaponry rather, and likely direct kinetic support. In Brandon Smith's article, Ukraine Learns the Value of an Armed Citizenry But Far Too Late, published back on March 2nd, he noted that the Ukrainian militia programs being instituted at the last minute while Russian troops swiftly marched across the Donbass were a sideshow. The media was acting as if citizens with no more than a couple of weeks of training were going to make some kind of difference in the war. And this was nonsense. He says, in my view, the insurgency narrative was meant as cover for well-trained Western assets already in place with advanced anti-tank and anti-aircraft technology. As he stated in that article, today as Russia invades, the Ukrainians don't even have basic defense measures in place. Their ability to hold off the Russians is all at all is predicated on American missile systems like the Javelin, which are being steadily funneled into Ukrainian military. Also, the methods which Ukrainian forces are using to ambush Russian armor columns are rather advanced and familiar. He says, I suspect the possibility that there are outside military advisors, perhaps U.S. advisors, on the ground right now in Ukraine. The advanced guerrilla-style ambush tactics and the results look similar to training that's often given to Green Berets or SAS. The U.K. did send anti-tank weapons along with a small group of trainers to Ukraine back in January. And Brandon Smith says, maybe I'm mistaken, but if this is the case, it would be diplomatically disastrous if such advisor teams were ever discovered to be involved in the fighting. Now, he says, not long after I wrote this, a stream of information leaks revealed that U.S. and EU military involvement was far deeper than I'd expected. French journalist and Le Figaro uh, senior international correspondent George uh, Malbruno came back from Ukraine with revelations that Americans are directly in charge of the war on the ground. He added that he and the volunteers he was with almost got arrested by the officials and that they were forced to sign a contract until the end of the war, which denied them the right to tell the public about the circumstances they witnessed. Citing a French intelligence source, source rather, uh, Marbruno also tweeted that British SAS units have been present in Ukraine since the beginning of the war, as were the American Deltas. Well, this was obvious from the advanced tactics being used by Ukrainian forces to stall the Russian advance. But the first-hand accounts confirm the problem is real. And the New York Times and other media outlets have been publishing rare admissions of U.S. involvement in intelligence sharing with Ukrainians, which have led directly to the deaths of multiple Russian generals, as well as the destruction of major assets like troop transport planes and the Russian flagship Moskva. In the meantime, Pentagon officials and Joe Biden have incessantly denied that Ukraine is a proxy war. Well, if it's not a proxy war, then he says, I don't know what is. Without U.S., U.K., and E.U. involvement, there is no war. It would already be over and Ukraine would have surrendered weeks ago. So people can argue whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing, but he says, as I've mentioned in multiple articles, I have no feelings either way, because the entire event appears to be a distraction from the much more important threat of global economic decline and the inflationary crisis. 
So the thing to remember here that this is, in, is that this is indeed a proxy war and that the very presence of American and European military assets on the ground in Ukraine could be used as a rationale by Russia to expand their operations far beyond the Donbass region. Not only that, but it also justifies wider tactics that directly target the U.S. and Europe. For example, a proxy war allows Russia to reasonably argue in favor of completely cutting off the EU from oil and natural gas resources, which Europe relies on for about 40% of its energy needs. It justifies Russian economic strategies, including alliances with China, to cut out the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. And he says, I continue to expect cyber warfare attacks sometime this year as a result of the Ukraine situation. At the very least, such attacks will be blamed on Russia and China, whether or not they're actually responsible. Now, I'm going to continue with this article in a few moments, but I'm just going to give you a moment here to kind of sit back and and ingest what I've, I've shared with you. Does that cause you some discomfort? I mean, does that run counter to the narrative that most of us have been raised with? That, hey, come on, if America's involved, we're the good guys, and we don't do the wrong thing when it comes to the, the world stage. You know, I, I sincerely believed that with all my heart for a very good portion of my life. And the place where the mask came off for me, so to speak, was in watching the U.S. government's response following 9-11 and what I considered the unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. Something George Bush alluded to the other day. Huh. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A shout out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage located in St. George, Utah. For my listeners in Utah or in Idaho, if you are looking for a loan, a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage, Heather is the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. So if you are looking to get a mortgage, you need to count on the experience and the insight of the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. She really is great. She is just phenomenal. And I say this having worked with her on uh, on my own, you know, mortgage applications and, and just made the process so easy. You can call her at 435-703-4522. If you're in St. George, Utah, go to 619 South Bluff Street. That's where you'll find Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. All right, back to Brandon Smith's article. Stop the denial. Ukraine is a proxy war that will lead to a wider world war. I know that that is, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I don't expect anybody to just believe it because, well, Brandon Smith said it or Brian repeated it. This is something that uh, you probably want to take a closer look at on your own. I do believe the facts will bear out that what he's saying. He talks about, uh, there's a question, you know, as 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 this this proxy war is distracting us from uh, the the inflationary pri- inflationary problems and the economic crisis that is growing not just here at home but worldwide he wonders if the presence of us and european troops in ukraine means that a global nuclear war is imminent now brandon smith says it's unlikely he says just as vietnam did not need, lead to a nuclear war between russia china and the us despite the nvc receiving steady supplies and training from Soviet and Chinese forces. 
Brandon Smith says there's minimal chance that global nuclear war will erupt from the Ukraine. Mutual destruction does not serve the interests of the globalists, at least not if they hope to predict the outcome in the slightest. But he says, that said, I would not be surprised to see at least one mushroom cloud somewhere in the world this decade within a regional conflict. Also, world wars do not have to become nuclear in order to be disastrous. Sadly, because of Hollywood movies, a large number of people have misguided notions of what World War III might actually look like. Entertainment media always depicts World War III as happening in a flash, in an instant in which missiles are launched and a broken civilization of survivors is left to pick up the pieces. What they never show is a long, grinding war of financial attrition, supply chain disruptions, cyber attacks, and drawn-out regional battles in which Americans are shipped overseas to die for no purpose other than to pretend that these territorial disputes are somehow our responsibility. He says, what I see in Ukraine is the beginnings of a war unlike any other, a war in which the weapons are primarily indirect and financial rather than kinetic. Because of global interdependency and trade, many Western nations have been left utterly defenseless in this kind of conflict. We don't have the ability to fight back because our economic systems are built around a model that demands we abandon domestic production and rely on the resources and industry of other nations. Now, this is never more true than in our relationship with China, which controls around 20% of all export goods into the U.S. China has closely allied with Russia. And he says that's not going to change because they know that there's nothing the West can do about it. There's far too much economic leverage involved. Furthermore, events in Ukraine are probably a precursor to China's own invasion of Taiwan. Now, if that is the plan, then China would have to wait for optimal weather conditions after the monsoon season, sometime in September. This would start with missile bombardment and infrastructure attacks, followed by an amphibious assault sometime in early October. The proxy war in Ukraine, he says, is a key moment in history going forward, along with the potential invasion of Taiwan, because it offers global power interests with dreams of a great reset, the ability to offload the worldwide economic crisis they created years ago onto the tides of fate. They can say the collapse only happened because of the hubris of sovereign nations and meaningless borders. And if the U.S. and Europe are directly involved in the killing of Russian troops, and this is widely exposed, then the Russian side of the narrative becomes clarified, and the Western side becomes muddled. Direct Russian retribution becomes logical and rational rather than the crazed reaction of a nation led by a madman, as our mainstream media claims. Brandon Smith says both sides of the Kabuki theater have to feel as though they're justified in escalating a small war into a world war. That's how this has always worked. And when the working class population gets a little too unruly and the threat of rebellion against the establishment is at hand, the elites start a war. It's like clockwork. This tactic weakens the general population, <clears throat> wears down the number of fighting men or fighting age men that might otherwise have prevented a threat to the, to the ruling class, and creates enough fear and panic to convince the public to trade away more of their freedoms. Can you disagree with him on this? Okay, just asking. Brandon Smith says the wild card right now is that the U.S. and European populations, and to some extent, the Russian citizenry, and how they respond. The old joke is, what if they held a war and nobody showed up to fight? That's a potential reality right now, as it is in the hands of the public to decide how far the Ukraine issue goes. 
Are most Americans and Europeans willing to send their sons and, in some cases, daughters to fight and die over the Donbass? Are Russian citizens willing to fight and die beyond the borders of Ukraine? Apparently, a lot of people are engaging in big talk lately. But Brandon Smith asks, is this really the hill they're ready to die on? And he says, I think not. Because deep down, most people know that this war is a farce, a play on the global chessboard by elitists with nefarious aspirations. They know that the reasons for the war are not pure on either side. They virtue signal in favor of Ukraine, but they'll never be willing to go and risk their lives for Ukrainian soil. Nor are they willing to risk a family member's life for Ukraine. He says, I suspect that the globalists know this by now, as the narrative has been shifting away from trying to convince Americans that open military involvement is needed. They will switch to the economic side of the conflict in hopes that the, finan- the, the fiscal disaster rather will fog the minds of the public and make them more willing, more willing rather to support wider war tomorrow. Well, there you have it. I mean, that's, that's one man's take. And to me, I think he's probably more right than wrong. I think he gives a pretty good uh, accounting here for what's going on, and especially the distraction angle. I, I don't think that can be overstated. Anytime you see something dominating the headlines, dominating the news cycle, you know that the memo has gone out. This is what we're talking about. Replacement theory is racist, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the talking heads are talking about it. Keep in mind, if they're all talking about it at the same time, chances are pretty good that it's that's what your attention is supposed to be focused on. Smart people will ask, okay, what am I not supposed to be seeing? And it's worth taking a little bit deeper look and trying to determine what exactly they, they, there may be going on that uh, the people in power don't want you to see. I mean, I, I get this sounds so horribly unpatriotic. But I, I want you to ask yourself, would I be willing to send my kids, would I be willing to send my grandkids to fight for the cause of Ukraine? I mean, I feel for the, the Ukrainian people. There can be no doubt that there is serious suffering and injustice being done to them. But it's not just by Russia. It's by their own government. And it's by, you know, the, some of the factions within their own government. We only see a tiny bit of what's going on. But there's enough shadowy stuff taking place. I feel pretty confident in saying you're not going to find good guys, at least at the the leadership levels of this conflict. You are not going to find good guys in uh, Ukrainian government. You're not going to find them in the U.S. government or the European governments. You're certainly not going to find them in Russia. So it's up to you to make an informed decision about what exactly does it all mean and decide what parts of the narrative can I safely embrace and what parts need to be rejected outright this much is sure though the conflict is having deeper impacts on things that do affect our everyday lives so focus on uh, fortifying your own position being more self-reliant not just in physical things but spiritually emotionally and so forth this is the brian hyde show This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. 
SewingandQuiltingCenter.com is one of my great sponsors. You'll find a link in my show notes to this wonderful company established back in 1984. You know, this has only changed hands three times over that uh, that period of time. And uh, Teresa and Eric Alsop are the current owners of SewingandQuiltingCenter.com. Um, look, I don't sew. I can sew a button. You know, I can I can fix a minor repair, but it looks horrible, or a minor tear like in my pants or something. Um, frankly, I opt for duct tape because I'm just not that skilled. However, you take someone like my wife and put her behind a sewing machine or a serger, um, she can do some really remarkable stuff. And uh, my mom is a quilter and loves quilting and has for years and years. Now, she doesn't have a long-arm quilter, but a long-arm quilting machine can do truly amazing things. So what I'm getting at here is, okay, you're a manly man. You don't really do that kind of stuff, but I bet you know somebody who does care about sewing and quilting. There is no finer place to begin than SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com. They service what they sell. They have a wonderful selection from very entry-level models up to the very top-of-the-line, high-end models. All the supplies to go with it, they'll even teach you how to use it. Can't beat that. They're located in St. George, Utah. Click on the link that I provide in my show notes. That's SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com. With all the challenges that we're facing today, there's something that underpins each one of these challenges. I don't care what you point to. It's a challenge in part because there is a loss of moral clarity. Now, to better explain what that means, I want to turn to uh, Jeffrey Tucker from the uh, Brownstone Institute. Lockdowns, closures, and the loss of moral clarity. He says, last weekend, an 18-year-old kid slogged a powerful weapon into a Buffalo, New York grocery store and started shooting people based on race. Thirteen people were shot, ten killed, His goal was to start a race war along the lines of the fiction books that inspired his online gurus. He live-streamed the carnage and left a manifesto explaining his motives, his ideology, which has deep roots and has spawned genocides, is the kind of demonic gibberish that unstable kids find on the Internet when they're searching for some mission in life and meaning in life. So what might this kid have allowed his his brain to become, or why might he have allowed his brain to become poisoned in this way? I mean, he was a high school junior when the schools in his town were closed by government from March 20th through September, from March of 2020, rather, through September at the earliest. They cut him off from peers and normal social life and the civilizing effect they have. He lived online in isolated loneliness. And he admits this in his revolting manifesto. Quote, Before I begin, I will say I was not born racist nor grew up to be racist. I simply became racist after I learned the truth. I started browsing 4chan in May 2020 after extreme boredom. Remember, boredom, rather. Remember, this was during the outbreak of COVID. I never even saw this information until I found these sites, since mostly I would get my news from the front pages of Reddit. I didn't care at the time, but as I learned more and more, I realized how serious the situation was. Eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I told myself that eventually I was going to kill myself to escape this fate. My race was doomed, and there was nothing I could do about it. End quote. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says those words reflect grave pathology. Recent surveys of people in forced COVID isolation have found that some 30% develop strong symptoms of PTSD over the course of weeks. In this case, an already imbalanced kid found personal meaning through his own perceived race identity. He invented a sense of belongingness through an imagined artificial solidarity with others of his tribe. The next steps are obvious. The demonization of others who are blamed for his plight, the manufacturing of a mission, and the valorization of his own violent longings. 
The grotesque ideology he adopted was the replacement for what he had lost or never had. The disruption of closures and quarantines affected millions of others without the same results, but the tendency is there. People are robbed of a moral center and a clarity about life's meaning. In Freudian terms, the last two years provided every pathway for the id, or the primitive instinct, to displace the ego, which consists of social norms, social realities, etiquette, and rules when deciding how to behave. And this displacement can leave nothing but instinct fueled by resentment and hate. Along with this comes the search for the other on which to blame all problems. Now, whether that's the racial identity, political deviance, or the uh, co- the COVID noncompliance, the unvaccinated, or any other makeup cat, or the make they make up any other category, we see the same dynamic at work. It's the attempt to stigmatize, exclude, dehumanize, and eventually eliminate. So Jeffrey Tucker says, "This kid's behavior is but a sign, a marker, an extreme example of the loss of moral center. It's also a warning." Millions more have been so affected as we lost two years, not only of education, but also of socialization opportunities. Networks have been shattered. Expectations that life can be stable and good and always will be are gone for many among a whole generation. Even the Surgeon General has commented on the crisis for a generation without, of course, identifying the most obvious causes. So what kind of things unleash this Freudian id that is always just beneath the surface? What breaks the barrier created by sublimation? Isolation, despair, deprivation. This is linked to a shattering of social bonds via social distancing and also material loss. These are what cause hope to evaporate. A happy future seems to be or starts to seem unattainable, so there is a loss of desire to work toward that end. Instead, the psychology of reversion takes place to behave in a primitive, primitive, anomic, and violent way. Now, Tucker says, Freud is a good guide to this tragic process, but to see the other end of the moral spectrum, we can turn to Adam Smith's masterwork, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. It is heavy on the analysis of what it means to feel empathy, and not only to feel it, but to rely on it to the point that our own well-being is connected to the belief that others, too, are experiencing something like a good life. What instills this higher sense in our minds? It is the practical experience of depending on others and finding value in their labor, productivity, contribution to community life, and coming to see our own well-being is bound up with the fate of others. This is what the market and socializing encourages, the gradual recognition that others, indeed all people, are worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. And he says the universalization of this sense is never complete, but as civilization and prosperity grow, we make progress toward that end. This is what grants us ever better lives, and without it, we can very quickly descend into barbarism in the way that Lord of the Flies describes. This is particularly true in the volatile years of youth, when the search for meaning is active and the mind is malleable in both good and dangerous ways. Take away community, you take away the thing that instills that Smithian sense of empathy that extends from a conscience trained by socialization. And all of this is contingent on a functioning market and social order. Without that, A decline in mental health can lead to violent outbursts and even genocide. In other words, the world can be broken. Jeffrey Tucker says, like you, I never wanted to live in a society that's devolving ever deeper into moral decay. Along with that is, inevitably, a fall in overall prosperity. 
He says, years ago, I was having lunch with one of the great economists who had dedicated his life to studying economic freedom the world over. He developed the metrics to quantify this progress and ranked countries. So he says, I asked him the big question, whether there was ever a chance that we in the West could lose what we take for granted and find ourselves falling back to ever more primitive ways, eventually losing both freedom and prosperity. Now, his answer came quickly. There's almost zero chance of that. Markets are too complex, law is mostly good, and humanity has learned the right path. The foundations of civilization are so strong that it would require a mighty effort to break them. People would never stand for it. And Jeffrey Tucker says, I was relieved to hear this and went on with my naive ways. Two years ago in spring, this confidence in the future was shattered. A friend just now described it to me as a nightmare unfolding in real time as ruling class elites play willy-nilly with the sacred rights and liberties while smashing so much of what it's taken hundreds of years to create. Now, the results of compulsory closures and shutdowns are all around us. It's not just about educational losses, falling optimism, declining health, inflation, weakened financials, empty shelves, and shortened lives. He says, above all else... It is about the decline of society's moral sense. We saw public officials engaged in the unthinkable, locking people in their homes, closing schools and churches, shutting down venues for fun and therapy, excluding people from public accommodations based on vaccine status. And that sent a message to everyone else. We've been through more than two years of isolating, segregating, dividing, excluding, and dehumanizing. You know what the message is? There are no more rules based on equality and rights. Nothing that we thought matters really does matter. The replacement is not rationality, but primitivism and the destructive mindset. That has people asking the unthinkable, just how bad can this get? We're going to answer that question when we come back after the break. But if you want to check this article out for yourself, it is well worth your time. Go to my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Again, this is from Jeffrey Tucker, and the article is titled Lockdowns, Closures, and the Loss of Moral Clarity. Again, we'll come back to it in a few moments. If you want to avail yourself of a great resource for wrong thinkers, brownstone.org is where I found the article. Well worth your time. They always have something thought-provoking being published on a regular basis. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, how you doing? You hanging with me here? I got your heart going into palpitations? (laughs) Let's hope not. I'm sharing with you this article from the Brownstone Institute. This is from Jeffrey Tucker. Lockdowns, closures, and the loss of moral clarity. I think uh, Jeffrey Tucker has had one of the more reasoned and and better takes on this from the get-go. So much of what he was warning about two years ago has, in fact, panned out. And I think uh, some of the, the resources that he draws from, the people with whom he affiliates, have been spot on in their assessment of what was appropriate versus what was not appropriate. And that's not to say, therefore, you believe everything he says. I'm just saying some people have better track records for calling it correctly. Jeffrey Tucker is definitely one of those individuals. So the question that people are asking, okay, so we've seen the damage done. 
How bad can it get? Jeffrey Tucker says, polls say that the number one concern of Americans today is inflation, a direct outgrowth of terrible pandemic policy. We have examples from history of how forces like inflation can prompt rapid devolution. Venezuela is a good example. A prosperous and civilized country falling into the abyss when the money fails, after which civil society collapses too. Germany and Russia come to mind as well. One or two things can go wrong that can cause a crack in civilized life that exposes whole social orders to the unthinkable. Now he says what's awesome and terrifying to contemplate is just how many things have gone wrong all at once. The quality of money has taken a huge hit and will likely endure many more years, but we also have a health crisis, a psychological decline, massive learning loss, dependency on government largesse, a loss of work ethic, an ideological push against the basic tenets of traditional liberalism, a revolt against religion, a denial of basic biology and science, a wholesale loss of trust in the elites, the valorization of war, even as the administrative state alongside intellectual elites remain firmly in control of the apparatus of power at all levels. This is an extremely dangerous mix so much so that it's hard to find historical examples. Our moral, our moral sense, rather, is being doled by the day. We're, used to getting, we're getting used to, rather, rising crime, falling purchasing power, the loss of opportunity, diminished hopes for the future, rising social chaos, and the normalization of hate. It can happen gradually and then all at once. Jeffrey Tucker says, Over two years, our friend networks have been shattered. Our communities broken, small businesses beaten, and many of our leaders have been co-opted into a machinery of corruption, while the censorship of open dialogue about the causes and consequences is intensifying. The tools we thought would save us and lead us into the light, our laws and technologies, have betrayed our rights, privacy, and liberties. I mean, that's a pretty... That's a pretty uh, dark assessment of what's going on. Doesn't mean he's wrong, though. Now, he says, perpetual decline and fall is not inevitable. It's fixable, but every powerful force out there, especially mainstream media, seems to stand against that. It's all designed to demoralize us and cause us to give up. But Jeffrey Tucker says, we cannot accept this fate. There is still time, providing that we understand what is happening and the grave consequences of letting it all take place without a fight. Bingo. I completely agree, and I think that's why you and I have to be willing to stand up at some level. For some people, it's going to be standing up on the you know public stage and running for office. For other people, it's going to be creating you know some kind of an organization and, and bringing people together that way. Some of us, it may just come down to speaking up as individuals. I don't know what the role is that you are supposed to play, but I can say with absolute certainty, you have a role to play. None of us are supposed to just sit here on the sidelines and cheer and hope our team does okay. Yay! Wave those pom-poms harder. We all have an active role to play right down there on the field. Not everybody's going to be the quarterback, right? But the role that you have to play is important, no matter how big, no matter how small. Knowing what's going on, and being willing to step up and stand for what is true and what is right, that's what matters. And there are going to be times where you're going to have to do it alone, and it's going to be uncomfortable. 
you will be targeted. You will be smeared. You will be doxxed. You will be doubted, condemned. But if it's the right thing to do, it's still the right thing to do. And there are a lot of great souls from history who may not be here physically, but nonetheless would stand with you spiritually in doing the right thing. All right, two other quick articles I'm going to reference here. I won't have time to share both of them, but uh, wokeness has done a lot to suck the fun out of most aspects of life. And I've got an article here from Brendan O'Neill from the UK welcoming uh, Netflix's recent note to its employees, telling them, hey, if uh, you're having a hard time dealing with uh, making shows or movies that uh, are working on shows that offend you, maybe you should find employment elsewhere. Now, that's encouraging. I mean, essentially, they're telling, hey, harden up. (laughs) You you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful, says Netflix. If you can't do that, well, then maybe Netflix isn't the place for you. So don't let the door hit you on the way out. Now, he says that memo has excited free speech warriors and it's agitated the easily offended in equal measure. Elon Musk loves it. Good, good move, Netflix, he said. But it doesn't mean that the woke or the wokeness, for that matter, is in retreat. He says everybody needs to calm down. Talk of woke Hollywood's retreat in the words of the L.A. Times, way too premature. One positive-sounding memo from a streaming service isn't going to turn the tide on the political correctness on steroids that's become the religion of the entertainment industry, Silicon Valley, and the publishing world in recent years. So the elite's culture war on reason and artistic freedom, it's still being waged. If anything, it's going to intensify as new armies of grads enter the workforce. Just to skip ahead here, uh, Brendan O'Neill says, look, you got to keep your moral judgment. As an individual, you've got to keep your moral judgment. The battle's far from over, but there still need to be people who are willing to shine a light into darkness, even when it's not the popular thing to do. You can check out that link in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Again, no, Wokeness is Not in Retreat by Brendan O'Neill, writing for spikedonline.com. One other article that I'd like you to take a look at is from Brian Kaplan. I picked this one up off everythingvoluntary.com. Misinformation about misinformation. Oh, we hear so much about misinformation. Nazis run Ukraine. Biden stole the election. You can cure COVID by injecting bleach. Lizard men run the world. Now, these statements, he says, aren't merely false. They're misinformation that endangers democracy and the world. Or so I keep hearing. But Brian Kaplan says, my question is, what exactly is the mechanism of misinformation supposed to be? For the critics, the story seems to be roughly, well, self-conscious liars make up absurd lies to advance their agendas. Some listeners believe whatever they say. Some of these listeners repeat what they hear, sparking cognitive contagion effect. Other listeners ignore the liars, but this sparks no contagion effect. The net effect, therefore, is to push public opinion in the desired direction. With strong contagion, the net effect is large. Now, the obvious follow-up question to that explanation is, well, can anyone do this? If this is how the idea of the world of ideas really works, why does anyone bother with facts or logic? Or does misinformation require some unmentioned silent partner to succeed? Now, the most cynical answer is, yes, anyone can do this. And anyone who's anyone does. Look at popular political debate. Facts and logic don't matter. It's just a war of competing lies. The national pushback says, well, you're exaggerating. Facts and logic matter with some of the people some of the time. People have common sense, after all. 
If they choose, they can not only reject absurd lies, but heavily discount the words of habitual liars. To which Brian Kaplan says, okay, fair enough. But this response reveals the severe misinformation at the heart of the standard misinformation story. And from here he goes into unpacking, you know, how, you, how is misinformation misinformation? Look, the bottom line is there's a lot of irrational information out there. And he says the fundamental problem with the war on misinformation is that it scapegoats misinformation for the sins of irrationality. If human beings were rational, misinformation would be basically harmless. Thomas Jefferson famously said, were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I should not for a moment, I should not hesitate for a moment to prefer the latter. Similarly, he says, I, Brian Kaplan says, were it left to me to decide whether we should have irrationality without misinformation or rationality with misinformation, I would not hesitate for a moment to prefer the latter. So, in a world of deep human irrationality, misinformation could conceivably improve outcomes by tricking the foolish onto the path of wisdom. That's an angle I had not considered. And I don't know if I'm trying to trick you into thinking for yourself here, but ultimately that is what I would like to see happen, is more people questioning, reasoning, and thinking for themselves. I just happen to believe it can be done without trickery. This is The Brian Hyde Show.